Hi, this is Pastor Woods. I hope you'll put up with my voice. I've had a bad cold all week, but I wanted to get this out because I think it's important we think about uh, what I'm going to talk about today. I know sometimes we wonder, why is life so unfair? Why do I have to go through hard places? Why do I have to face some of the things I do? I don't have answers for all of this. I do have what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so, rather than try to say, why is life so unfair, I, I want to say that God is there, and God can help me through any and all situations, and whatever I go through here on earth is going to seem very minor when I finally look on Jesus' face and, and the hymn comes, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Job chapter 40, verses 1 through 5 says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth, I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is, it that, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was thinking, you know, as we read the news and we see what's happening in the world, the headlines are sickening. I remember reading in January 21st, 2020, it said, an Arizona mother arrested on suspicion of killing all three children. It was Phoenix, and the story went like this. Police arrested a young mother on Tuesday on suspicion of smothering her three young children to death, one at a time, in the family's Phoenix home. Then propping their bodies on a sofa as if they were napping, authorities and court records said, and it goes on and talks about the horrible, horrendous things she had done. November 17, 2022. A Phoenix man suspected of killing wife, three ch young children, and himself. And it said, a Phoenix man is suspected in the depths of, deaths of his wife 
and their three young children before he fatally shot himself, police said Thursday. You know, that's just not fair. It's absolutely rotten. Why is life so unfair? Haven't we all asked that question? Most of us understand that God didn't cause these deaths or other awful tragedies. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33 says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The tougher question is, why does God allow awful things to happen? Why is life so unfair? My brother-in-law David, when his daughter Karen was growing up, she often complained, it just isn't fair. And David would often ask her, well, who said it had to be fair? And I guess that's probably the question we should all think about. You know, we live in a world marred by sin. In Eden, there were no tragedies, no illnesses, no death or taxes. It was paradise. Adam and Eve had it made, but they disobeyed God and exchanged paradise for a sin-marred world where awful things happen. This isn't only a sin-marred world, it's also a free-choice world. God will not turn us into puppets or robots. He lets us make choices. To take our freedom would distort our basic humanity. Therefore, God rarely intervenes to prevent accidents, to stop murderous criminals, or force terrorists to behave. God lets natural laws operate, even when one of those laws causes a disastrous hurricane. I read about when Katrina devastated the Gulf Coast, a Methodist pastor talking with his Presbyterian pastor friend jokingly said, I'm glad to be a Methodist instead of a Presbyterian. We Methodists see Katrina as just one more evidence that this is a sin-marred world. But you Presbyterians have to explain how Katrina was part of God's preordained plan. Well, of course, he oversimplified their theological differences. God does not play favorites. He doesn't stop lightning from striking Americans while leaving Australians unprotected. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God loves Armenians as much as he loves Americans. He loves Italians as much as he does Israelis. We have a nephew by marriage named Kent. He thought he had a dental problem a couple years ago and went to the dentist for help. The dentist found something that looked suspicious. He sent him to a doctor for further examination, and it was discovered that he had cancer. The cancer is very aggressive and has taken over his whole jaw, and, and some of his jawbone has been removed. He has had several surgeries, treatments with chemo, and has been through agonizing days of suffering because of this horrible cancer and is spreading to other parts of his body. Our natural reaction is, why did this happen to him? He or his family hadn't done anything to cause it. God wasn't angry with them. An illness can happen to anybody. We live in a world marred by sin. So why do we feel the pain of this so sharply? Because God planted in our hearts a vision for justice and equity. We all have an idea of what a perfect world should be. 
Even hardened criminals get angry if their criminal partner steals from them. God put a vision in our hearts and hearts of his kingdom where there is no unfairness and all injustices are correct. Even when we get biblical answers, why is life so unfair? We question how we can cope with life's unfairness. God knew we'd ask, so he put Job in our Bible. In that inspired story, God and Satan have a conversation and agree that Job was the most righteous man on earth. Satan told God, well, no wonder Job's righteous. You blessed him so bountifully with health, family, and wealth. Remove those blessings. He'll denounce you. You're wrong, God said. Job loves and trusts me because of who I am, not just because of the blessings he's received. Satan snorted, put your money where your mouth is. Take away Job's blessings and see what happens. God took that challenge and withdrew his protection from Job. In just a few days, Job lost his children, his possessions, and his health. Three friends came to Job and talked about to comfort him. The best thing they did was sit with him silently for seven days. Once they began speaking, they caused Job more grief than help. They were convinced that Job's miseries and misfortunes had a rational explanation. He was suffering for some sin that he had committed. Job was convinced that they were wrong. He didn't have an answer, but he knew he hadn't sinned. You hear about the patience of Job. Actually, Job didn't have much patience. He fussed and fumed with God for 35 chapters, but he didn't reject God. Finally, in chapter 40, we have a climax to the story. God visited Job personally. He gave Job a glimpse of his incredible power and his flawless character. He didn't give Job an answer, an explanation. After meeting God personally, Job didn't need an explanation. The bottom line, if you know God's good and loving and you're his child, you can cope with unfairness and still live abundantly. The Bible teaches us how to cope with life's unfairness. The first step is remember life's unfair, but God is good. God may not intervene when you want him to, but he loves you and he wants what's best for you. David declared in Psalms 145.5, Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. Psalms 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. When Martin Luther's son died, his wife Katie shouted at him, Where was God when our son died? Martin replied, The same place he was when his son died. He was there watching and weeping. Just as God brought the resurrection after the crucifixion, he makes sure the final word of our lives isn't about unfairness, but is about victory. God is love. If we keep our faith, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from his love. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Step 2. Stay close enough to God to let him heal your wounds. One of Satan's favorite tricks is slipping up to a hurting person and saying, if God really loved you, he'd have prevented your pain, so you ought to despise God. 
Satan had a good mouthpiece in Job's wife. She urged Job to curse God and die. Job chapter 2 verse 9. She was at least a quart low on encouragement. Job's response in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him, or King James says, I will trust him, yet will I argue my ways to his face. Satan wants to destroy you for now and for eternity. He tries to separate you from God, uh, from your primary source of strength. Pierce Harris, a retired preacher in Atlanta, lost his wife Mary in a tragic car accident. Weeks later, a man wrote to him saying, I hope your terrible loss won't destroy your faith. Dr. Harris said he wanted to write back saying, Man, haven't I lost enough already without throwing away my faith too? Why should I cast aside the only thing that's keeping me afloat? You know, when you're hurting because life has caved in, you need to crawl up close to Jesus who said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all you labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Step three, ask God to bring some good out of your pain. Job didn't know his story would bless generations of hurting people. I imagine many of those suffering in Hitler's concentration camps were comforted by Job's story. Paul said, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, Romans 8.28 Probably the most outstanding Methodist of the 20th century was the great missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones. He was saved as a young man while working in the law library at Baltimore Courthouse. He lost no time telling his boss that he was a Christian. The boss reacted with a scorn and contempt, saying, I'll knock that out of you in two weeks. He tried by using every pressure and tactic imaginable. His efforts just made Stanley more resolute. Later, E. Stanley Jones wrote, I actually grew under his lash. There I got hold of a principle and power that would be the driving force of my life. I wouldn't just bear opposition and difficulties. I'd use them. Just as an airplane always takes off against the wind, I'd make opposition send me up, not down. With Christ's help, I let trouble lift me rather than destroy me. So the three busy, biblical principles to help you when life's unfair is first, remember that God through life, remember that, excuse me, remember that though life is unfair, God is good. Second, stay close enough to God to let him heal your wounds. And third, ask God to bring some good out of your pain. In his book, The Will of God, Leslie Weatherhead used a helpful illustration. He said, Suppose the toddlers of the world had a mass meeting. Suppose they could communicate quite well. The chairman, after adjusting his bib, might declare, I'm sure my parents don't love me. I look at my knees all red and scratched. Your knees look as bad as mine. Will someone here propose a motion? A chubby little baby raised his hand and said, Mr. Chairman, I move that we protest the carelessness of parents and demand in the future no furniture can be made that has sharp corners, that all asphalt and other abrasive materials be banished from play areas and claws be removed from the paws of all household cats. Well, no doubt the motion would pass almost unanimously. Similarly, 
we complain to God saying, look at my frustrations, look at my sorrow and pain. How can you be so callous? Don't you care? Just as a parent's perspective is different from a toddler's, so God's perspective is different from ours. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The parents could try to explain to these toddlers their different perspective, but they'd have a hard time selling it. We're growing mature when we can say there's much about God in this world I don't understand. Some of it breaks my heart. If God gave me all the answers, I'm not sure that I'd understand them. But I do know the character of God because I've experienced him through Jesus Christ. I know God loves me. One day I'll meet him and ask my hard questions. But until then, I'll simply, I'm simply going to trust him. Again, it will be worth it all when we say Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Jesus. Charles Albert Tinley wrote a hymn entitled Stand By Me. Make this your prayer of faith in the midst of an unfair world. It says, when storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes and battle array undertake to stop my way, thou who say Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. You know, I can tell you that whatever you're going through, God can use for your benefit. He can make you stronger. He can bless you. Even in the midst of times where you think that he's forgotten you, he's still there. And you need to learn to trust him. And one day, when we look at him and he talks to us, we can ask, Lord, what were you trying to do? And it will make sense at that time. I hope you know Jesus is your Savior. And I hope you'll trust him in whatever you're going through today. Let's pray. Dear Father, help us, Lord, to realize that you're there. And you will stand by us. You didn't promise everything easy. But you did promise you'd never leave us or forsake us. You promised is our day, so should our strength be. And so, Lord, teach us to trust you, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, if you want to get in touch with me, you know my my email. It's uh, lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s 
at gmail.com. My mailing address is Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. And again, if you wanted to talk and it was really important, you could call 623-845-2741. God bless you. I hope things are going good for you. And I want to remind you, God's there to stand by you even now.